Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 90. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by the co-host that could never live in Denver, Colorado, Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about legacy. Absolutely not. No liquor stores. They're not considered essential in Denver. I think that they've had uh, recreational marijuana too long to consider alcohol essential anymore. But here but in how Massachusetts. How do that? Yeah, how could they do that to people? I mean, like, DT is a real thing, right? I mean, speaking from personal experience, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe. But I, I, I mean, a lot of places, they sell beer and stuff in, in grocery stores. I don't know what it's like in Denver. I don't know their state laws, but True. Uh, I, I like the decisions they made in Massachusetts. Yeah, definitely. I think it was necessary, right? But we have on the line this week a very good guest coming to us live from Shanghai, James Shu. What's going on, James? Hey, guys. Not much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Are you are you on like a or have recently come off of a like mandatory quarantine or have you been back in China for a while? I know you were sort of hanging out outside the country while a lot of this was happening. Yeah, I was in Canada when the outbreak hit, and so my wife and I just decided to stay in Canada for a bit. But as of three, four weeks ago, I've been back in China, and so the mandatory, well, not really mandatory, it's like a soft enforced 14-day quarantine at home. That's 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 passed for me, so I'm able to venture out and do whatever whatever is happening. And actually, magic events are firing now in Shanghai oh, this no weekend. Shit. Yeah, it, it feels like people are relaxing a little bit. Oh, I'm still kind of vigilant. We're still pretty vigilant. I'm probably not going to go play Magic this weekend. But, it, you know, things are starting to become a little bit more normal. Yeah, that's crazy because WotC actually just like, they issued an announcement that they were canceling all store level events for the next three weeks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the legacy events in, in my part of the woods, they're not... They're not sanctioned. I mean, we don't allow proxies, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not like F and M's or anything like that. You know, they have good prizes and people show up, but it's it's like a kind of a labor of love, you know. So yeah, the the Watsi thing, I just saw that. It doesn't really affect us, but that that's definitely gonna in fact uh, you know, impact everybody. And I, I I'm actually kinda glad Watsi uh, made an announcement like that. Did either oh. of you sign up for the hundred K? No, I did not personally. Did you, oh, James? Okay. No, I I mean, I probably should have because it seems like a lot of fun. You can get a full refund, right, if things don't work out. And the organizer seems like a great guy. I just didn't – I just missed that window. Tom, you got in, right? I did. I, um, I'm signed up for the 40 and 100K. So I think those are events that as long as everything sort of gets back to the normal, I'm penciled into going to. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I didn't know actually when it was. Is it like a year from now? Uh, Yeah, April 2021. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't really sure when it was. I wasn't really following the details, and I just kind of missed it. I, I also thought it was uncapped, so that was part of my problem. But hopefully uh, hopefully something else will come up, or you know, they'll have some spots on the wait list or whatever, because if this next one goes off and, and it's as fun as it should be, then I'm definitely going to want to go to that one too. I don't really want to say my next thought on it, but 
No, what's your next thought? (laughs) Well, this one just got canceled, right? Well, the the 20, the 20k got canceled. Yeah. The 20k got canceled. Yeah. And everybody got their refunds and stuff. Yep. So it's just like, I kind of want to see one of these tournaments, one of these bigger tournaments go off first before I'm like signing up for multiple of them. And I'm not, the reason I didn't want to say that is because it sounds like I'm throwing shade. I'm not trying to, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I, I just kind of want to, like, experience it before I've locked into, like, going to many of them. I completely understand. Well, I think yeah. that uh, Jeremy ran a bunch of really big tournaments in Moonbase Market when everything was, like, normal. And uh, that, the 20K cancellation, it's everything going on right now. That's, yeah, I'm not I'm not factoring that into any of my decisions. Yep. Dude, speaking of everything being normal... I this afternoon, like after I finished working, I fell asleep in my guest room. I just like took a quick nap, and when I woke up, I looked outside and it was snowing. And I had no idea it was supposed to snow. Like I was playing golf with DJ last weekend. Like I, you know, it's been nice out. Like it's been forties, fifty degrees every day. And I looked outside and it was snowing. And I was like, man, what the fuck? And it was so surreal that I was like, man, isn't something crazy going on? Like, isn't the world at like like something weird is going on, right? But like it seemed, it was so peaceful. I was like, I couldn't remember what it was. It took me like thirty seconds after waking up to remember that uh, the, <laughs> we're not allowed to go outside or anything like that. <laughs> it was it was such a surreal feeling, man. And I'm still like kind of living in that dream world two hours later. Yeah, I feel like no matter no matter what, even if you woke up, sorry, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It, it's surreal for everybody. <laughs> This time that we're living in for the next however long it's going to be, just nobody's experienced that who's alive right now. I, I don't I don't really know how to put it into words. It's but, pretty it's pretty like exciting, like not in like a uh, this is fun way, but like in a this is this is a uncharted territory way. Right. Yeah. And I really hope that what's going on right now just ends up being something that's like a once in a lifetime thing that nobody has to experience again. But with the way things have been going over the last decade, we've had things like this breaking out all over the world once every few years. And that just like, it it scares, it scares everybody a little more knowing that like, I don't know, something else could mutate and we could be in the same spot. It's, I don't want to start to think about that. Yeah. All right. So anyway, off on to more happy topics, bro. So we're we're obviously we're all boomers. Everybody knows we're boomers on this cast in terms of age and sentimentality. But we've kind of been Zoomers the past few days, bro. We've been uh we've been on Zoom every day, pretty much. I would say, or at least I have for the past three days, and it's been like one of the one of the coolest things man like one of the biggest white pills in this whole uh, epidemic pandemic that we're in is i in the old school community they play a lot of like magic over whatever whereby or skype or whatever the fuck over webcam basically uh and i never got into it i was always like fuck this this is this is not cool this is you know not not a scene i'm interested in being part of but one of our friends talked me into it, showed me their setup, and I feel like the first time it was like this foreign feeling, like this like uh, cherry blossom started growing deep inside me, and it was just like, 
oh man, I kind of want to do this. I feel inspired. So I set up this whole studio in my guest room that I'm actually recording from now to play Magic over a webcam. And I've just been fucking deep in it for the past three days. James, you got in a little too, right? That sounds really awesome. No, I so I still need to get one of those nice mounts so I can do the paper magic over Zoom. I've been playing just magic online, but uh, I need to get into that. Oh yeah, but you've been in, you've come in to spectate at least a few times. I have been in spectator mode, yes. I saw you and Wilson playing some sweet vintage yesterday. Yeah, dude. And you've been getting in vintage too, right? I, I've been getting into budget vintage, man. I've just been getting into vintage for the first time on Magic Online because the cards are just very cheap, especially if you already have a, a legacy collection. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, how much is Lotus Online, do you know? It's like... It's like 16. five tickets Oh, it's even less than I thought. Yeah, some of the cards I heard have gone down in price. Uh, what's really sad about it, though, is that I, I'm sort of one of those OGs that even when I buy cards on Magic Online, I want to buy the original art, original, like the old border stuff, but they have only the new edition for cheap, and then somehow they have like the the original art Black Lotus for something like like 200 tickets, which is like basically like no one's going to buy that. I, I don't have no idea why they did it like that it must be something funky with the economy but it's like i'm sort of sad that i can't play the old art even though it's just digital and we're not actually owning pieces of cardboard you know yeah it was just this one cube that was like what was it time it was probably like two years ago at this point when they had the old border power so i i don't remember the old bordered power coming out but i do remember the the first sort of vintage masters draft set that they had i remember playing it and opening a lotus and selling it for 250 almost 250 tickets and oh wow and that was one of the new like the new artwork not not the old one um it's crazy how much that stuff is just sort of degraded online because there aren't a ton of people playing the format i know there's like a very dedicated group of people that do but but the the sort of base isn't very wide. Yeah, for sure. There was I can't remember what it was. It wasn't the holiday. It was like a special set that had come out. But I opened a Mox Pearl. I remember like an old bordered one and sold it for like forty or something like that at the time. Maybe even sixty. Like it, they they were pretty rare and pretty expensive when they came out. And I think it was just that one time, James, to answer your question about the supply. It's just super limited. I think. That's super awesome, and that's a part of magic history, I guess. Well, you yeah. know what? After <laughs> after this podcast, Wizards will release a special online pack of all of the old art, old border power for like 160 tickets that you can buy. Bro, I literally don't want to say Secret Lair Power 9 because I feel like we said Secret Lair <laughs> Fetchland and then it happened. So I just don't want don't to push it. that out in the universe. <laughs> but you already did. You are like... You are on top of the social pulse. You're like a month ahead of what is going to happen. So you already said it. Um, so everybody, everybody get ready for MTGO Secret Lair Power 9. Well, speaking of being on top of the social pulse, bro, I just started watching this new show, Watchmen. I think it's going to be big. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, James, I, is, James is the one who talked me into it. Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen just... the show. I definitely read the graphic novel. 
You haven't seen the show? I haven't seen the show. I haven't been watching a lot of TV. I don't know if you understand the level of social separation and time that World of Warcraft can can do <laughs> to somebody. But everybody's like, how have you not seen this show? You're like, you're not working your home all day? Like, what what are you doing? And I just, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to let people understand. I don't want to pe- let people know how how much I'm playing this game. So do you remember what, what is your what is your character in World of Warcraft? I want to know. So I way back in the day, way back in the day, I was a I was a tank and a raid and a guild leader, and like that took that took a ton of time. Now I'm just a mage. I'm just a lowly DPS that doesn't have any important jobs, but I got roped back into doing all of that other stuff. So. So I started off as a really low time commitment, hired gun, and now, now I'm back doing doing more personnel stuff. Yeah, well, I have no idea what any of that means, but <laughs> but I, like I never actually played uh, WoW myself, but I've heard that in the past. I don't know if this is still true. Like you you do a thing with your clan and you go on these huge raids, and it just you just have to basically play every day to. To keep up with the Joneses, as it were. So that's uh, like yeah, we're doing we're doing raiding. We have three different groups that end up raiding six nights a week. So I'm not in all of the groups, but I, I'm in charge of one of the classes and one of the raids. So I'm spending quite a bit of time doing that. Yeah, and James, it's like a forty man instance. So you have to coordinate with forty people. Or I mean, I assume that's what you're doing, right, Tom? Yep. Yeah, we so we have we have like a hundred and twenty set people that are going in in groups of forty, so it's a it's a lot of a lot of commitment to to manage everybody. It's fun, and it is definitely killing a lot of time. So there's no way that I can say oh, I'm so bored. I just can't wait to get back to whatever. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I remember when you first started playing again, and you were like, "No, I'm not doing guild raiding again." Yeah. I'm just doing this. And then when I was over at Steve's like two weeks ago, he was talking <laughs> about how he's playing World of Warcraft. And I was like, oh, are you on Tom's server? He's like, yeah. Well, he kind of like gave me some mixed wishy-washy answer. And I was like, wait, are you on it or not? He's like, well, I am, but I'm not on it like Tom and Jeremy are. And I was like, yep. wait, what, is that, what does that mean? He's like, well, I mean, I could log on at 3 a.m. and they're on. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This is awesome. <sighs> yeah, like the only time that works for me is the West Coast time. So I'm playing with a bunch of people from the West Coast because it works better. My kid goes to sleep um, when they're playing at like a normal time. I'm playing a little bit later and I can just I can make everything work. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was playing vintage with our West Coast friend last night over webcam and there they were like, uh, one more game and they're like what time is it for you and i was like oh it's almost one and they're like are you sure <laughs> and i looked at the <laughs> clock it was not almost one so i i feel you bro i i vibe with those west coasters like i i don't know why we just kind of schmooed and i lose track of time and then i'm on uh, west coast time i guess it's it's crazy too because like i'm interacting with people from all over the country so specifically with all of this stuff that's going on People are talking about what's going on with their, like, local area. Um, I have a few people who I play with that are in San Francisco that were talking about what was going on there. A few people that are in, like, Idaho and Iowa and Montana. And just the... Did you say Idaho? 
Uh, I said Iowa. Did I say Iowa? I I think I said Idaho and Iowa. Oh, Idaho. Did I did I'm I sorry. smush them into one? State? It could have been my fault, bro. It could. No, been I fault. I definitely could have said Idaho. I might have said that. <laughs> I might have said that. Anyway, I didn't I didn't mean that. Yeah. That that's wild though. So you get to like, uh, you get to sort of have your your feelers out, right? Yeah. What's the what's the level of concern like in the Midwest? Midwest, it's kind of low. Like the the people, the people who I've talked to that are in that area, their the population density isn't really that big, and um, compared to the people that I've talked to that actually live in L.A., San Francisco, and New York City, they're they're all on like red alert. Oh, where yeah. the people who are out in the more rural areas are a little bit less a little bit less concerned. Yeah, that makes sense. So James, in practicing social distancing, when you were holed up in an Airbnb in Vancouver, you bought into Moto, right? That's right. I made the mistake of getting into Moto. The mistake, huh? So 300, correct me if I'm wrong, but 313 matches of Legacy later, right? Yeah, Uh, not really a mistake because basically what happened was in 2019, I played a whole bunch of paper events back when they still had legacy paper events, if you can remember a time when that happened. I remember but, meeting no. you at Grand Prix DC, or Richmond. Sorry, it was Richmond. That's right. We actually played, right? And I didn't even know who you were at the time. It's like, it's, uh, yeah, We, I mean, legacy community, right? But I played a couple of events in 2019. I was very, very disappointed with my performance, and... I basically, this is before the whole pandemic, so it had nothing to do with that. I just decided two months ago, I'm actually going to get, try to get better at legacy and I'm actually going to try to get better by putting in reps. And so I had played arena, played paper magic, drafted, played legacy, of course, had the paper collection and just decided I'm going to start learning. I think the final straw was there was a team event in Shanghai and I asked one of my friends who was one of the best Magic players I know. He played, he plays in, in PTs, basically. This is, this is Wilson Hunter, and just to clarify. Yes, Wilson Hunter living in Shanghai. No, it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's another guy who is like really, really good at Magic. Okay. And it was just a fun team event. Like it was a, it was a, it was a team event. We were going to do like, uh, uh, I think it was Modern, Pioneer, and Legacy. Right. So it's like three on three magic. And my other friend and my friend and I asked this guy who's also a friend and he basically just shot us down. He's just like, you know, I don't think you guys are good enough to <laughs> to form a team with, you know, and hey, in his defense, totally fair because, you know, he's very competitive. So he doesn't want to play an event where he feels like our team is sort of, you know, not performing at our best or, you know, doesn't give him the best chance to win the event. And I just, that was like the final straw, dude. That was just like, okay. But, but, but you know what? Whenever something like that happens, I just look inside myself and I'm just like, well, what did I expect, right? Am I going to magically get better at Legacy or Pioneer? Like, because my, because I joined with team with this guy? No, right? So I was just like, this is stupid. Like, I need to actually get better at magic. And I, I had all this stuff built up from last year, <laughs> just scrubbing all these events. I'm just like, fuck this is the final straw i'm gonna get onto magic online i'm gonna grind i'm gonna improve my technical play i'm gonna try to get better and uh 
yeah, that's the whole story. That's that's my that's my sob story. That's such an awesome <laughs> story, bro. I just pictured somebody who's like, <laughs> like in, in Italy, they'd say vitalone. I don't know what the word is in China, but like uh, living in their parents' house, like anime pillows and shit, and just like focused on magic and like Mr. Professional James, like all put together and shit is like, hey, let's team together, bro. And, and they're like, no, you know, and just break your heart. <laughs> I don't know why. No, that's actually, such a funny I'm probably I'm probably the guy in the basement. I'm like now now I'm getting pissed off. I'm like I'm like standing up and I'm putting on my bandana like the with the Japanese characters on it. I'm just like let's go. Did you <laughs> yeah, have like exactly. did you have like a like an '80s theme song playing yeah, the, in the, the background? The training like montage, you know, slow mo yeah. like I started like kid. walking up the running up the hill like playing Magic Online on my laptop. Yeah. But you're like you're like the hot girl who who goes back to that like. Uh, you know, dirtbag boyfriend who always nags her or whatever. <laughs> that's that's also like part of this, part of what's so funny about this imagery to me. So I, yeah. will you please commit to filming it next time you ask that guy if you can be on a team with him? I, I yeah, I should probably do <laughs> that. To. No, I mean, he's still, he's still, he's still a friend. Like, uh, you know, after I started playing Magic Online, I actually started sending him records of my finishes. Like when I got my first 5-0 trophy in Legacy, I sent it to him and he's like, awesome. You know, (laughs) I'm like proving, I'm not, I'm slowly proving myself to him. So don't worry about that. (laughs) Oh man, that's awesome, bro. Uh, I'm so happy about this part of the story now. I didn't know this. (sighs) So you, so you got into Modo. What deck did you get by him with? Well, I'm... I'm a hardcore Delver fanatic, so the first deck I bought into was, I think it was Blue Red Delver, and I basically just started slowly getting into all the other variants of Delver, so like all the duels, all the staples, uh, bought oh, into damn. Oko because it was like in Rug Delver and the Hooting Mandrills, and so I, I basically, like if you look at my Moto uh, list, it's like all Legacy, and it's all just like... There's like 25 deck lists for Delver, basically. Nice. Yeah, Blue Red is definitely a good base to start with because all of the Delver decks that you're seeing now are like Blue Red, Black, Blue Red, Green, Blue Red, Black, Green. So it's a great place to start. Yeah, it really yeah, is ha- now. Go ahead. I had a I had a little bit of a detour. Like I, I bought into Omnitel, um, but then I got super bored with the deck. I think I was telling you about this, Ian. Oh, yeah. Like I got super bored with a deck. I I was winning some games, but it just was so boring, win or lose, that I just sold off the the actual pieces. Except for the the Ice Fan Coados. I'm very glad that I held on to them because they're actually worth quite a bit now. So. Were you playing like the blue green Eureka Veil of Summer show and tell deck? Exactly. Okay. I was playing it when when Julian was all Julian uh, Julian Kanab was talking about it all the time and getting these good results with it, and then that's when I started playing it, and it was yeah, it was fun for a little while, but then I just went back to Delver basically. Yeah, definitely, man. And I, I totally can relate to that. The times that I've built combo decks online, I've I've grown pretty sick of them pretty quick, but I think it's all in the eye of the player, right? Because Obviously, there's tons of people who are more than happy playing combo and find fair decks boring. It's just like what we want to be doing, I guess. I don't know. T- yeah, Tom, some you people, play, some people want to win with the Stoneforge. Some people want to win with the Delver, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's very much in the eye of the beholder. And that's what's great, man, is like I've heard 
about uh, other games that like you know people don't enjoy playing a certain deck or a certain role or whatever, but they play it because it's the best or you know because it's a gap in the in the digital space, like with the races in StarCraft, for example. Uh, but I think that in Magic we've we found kind of an equilibrium where most people can play the decks that that they enjoy playing right or in legacy i should i'm sorry if i said magic because it's, it's definitely in legacy that i meant that and it sort of works out okay yeah i've i've definitely yeah. played show and tell because i thought it was a good choice for the event where i was trying to do well in the event but i definitely enjoy playing other types of decks better i love days forcible decks i really like playing delver i really like playing like death and taxes and creature based decks that are on the field yeah. um so i definitely have like my own personal preferences but i've definitely played everything yeah for sure so yeah that's interesting man so how did you do overall on moto would like would you say that you uh you improved as a player like pretty linearly or would you say that it was like uh you know two steps forward two steps back or what well, I want to say for the record, I'm still very much a scrub after playing 300 plus matches with Delver. I would I've been tracking my win percentages. Uh, so thanks for sending over that that tracking spreadsheet. It was it was helpful. Oh, so thank Tom Karen. I've been tracking. Way, yeah. Yeah, shout out shout out to Tom. Like that was that's a pretty nice spreadsheet. So I've been tracking my wins and losses. And honestly, it's not that great, man. It's probably I probably have like a 50% match win percentage. And, you know, I've been hearing about these these grinders who are like crushing it and, you know, getting like 60 to 80% win percentages, especially when with decks like Breach when it was when it was around and I'm not anywhere near that level, but I would say that the biggest level for me is just the initial the baseline reps and just knowing like what to do in matchups, like what to side in and side out. Like before doing this, I might have played against Dredge like I don't know, like twice a year or something right yeah. it's like okay what cards do they actually have you know i remember back in the day i was playing tes like a couple times a year i was just like i didn't even know i had to name thalia with cabal therapy like just stuff like that like now i know okay what are the common decks what am i supposed to, what am i supposed to do in the matchups um i would say that i realized uh after a little while that just grinding wasn't actually gonna improve my game like i already i already had the 300 matches what really helped me recently was actually getting coaching. So I had I had folks like uh, H.J. Goddick, who won the Eternal Weekend last year. He he skyped in and was watching me as I played Delver. I had Lawrence Harmon uh, recently. He he was like he's a Delver master, and you know we played together. And I'm I, I just did a vintage video with Roland Chang, like playing his seventy five in vintage, uh, like. Those are the big level up moments for me because, like, I'm now going back into the videos. I'm like listening to what they say because you know it's hard to, to, to get everything that they're saying as you're playing. But it's like you go back and review the tape, like you actually realize, okay, I can like play this cantrip better or like make a better decision. So that's been the biggest level up. I probably learned more from those three sessions than playing like 300 matches, if I'm honest. You know? Yeah, that's so that's so true, man. And it's it's honestly it's kind of depressing. It's kind of what you don't want to hear if you've never done it. Is like I it took me a while to realize that I'm I'm a much better magic player when I'm not actively playing. It's like a really weird thing to realize, but when you're actively playing, you start fixating on things 
and like you know paying attention to your opponent's mannerisms and stuff rather than just like the the board as it is and evaluating it as like an impartial observer like you get emotionally invested in it right and you for some reason you start to tunnel on certain things and so when i would go back and watch my games i'm like wait why did i why did i do that and like i'll have to like get into my headspace to remember why i thought that something was more important than it was and it's it's a very sobering thing and something i think people don't want to admit to about their games but i think it's it's very big because then once you're aware of that within the game you can pause take a deep breath and and remove yourself from the situation and reevaluate it yeah totally because it reached a point where i was losing games in legacy and i didn't even know why and it's kind of like when my friend turned me down for the team event it's like when something happens to you and you don't feel good about it like whether it's losing at magic or whatever you have to look into yourself and really think about like okay it's probably not the world that's you know out to get me but what am i actually doing wrong right like how can i actually you know get past this and and level up so that's when i realized i needed to get someone to to review how I'm playing because like I was just playing, 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 but not getting results that I wanted. And I was just feeling like I was stuck, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. And yeah, another, another part that's sort of invisible is the mulligan decisions, right? And it can be kind of hard because you can look at a hand and be like, oh, this is a great hand, but you're on the draw and say, oh, but I'll lose to Blood Moon. You just have to, sometimes yeah. you just have to accept that, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to lose a blood moon. I have to keep this hand anyway. There's only a, you know, significantly under 20% chance I'm getting blood moon here, so. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know how you guys feel about that, by the way. Like, I have felt, after talking to players that I consider to be much better than I am, that the better players tend to keep a lot of hands that I would more aggressively mulligan, especially with London Mall. Like, do you guys have a philosophy around, around that? Like... Tom, you I, I felt go? like after... Yeah I, yeah, I think it definitely depends on the type of deck you're playing. I mulliganed a lot more aggressively when I was playing Show and Tell than when I was playing, like, like Delver. And I was... Honestly, when I was playing Death and Taxes, I was mulling to six very, very, very often. Because there, your deck is really redundant. There's built-in card advantage, and you really want to be able to hit an Aether Vial in your powerful cards... So I think it's definitely deck specific. And when I'm playing like a blue cantrip based deck um, that isn't combo, I was mulligan, mulliganing less often. But when I was playing the other decks, I was mulliganing more. So I think it's definitely like deck dependent. Yeah, 100%. And I, I tried playing that uh, Esper Vile deck this past weekend. Uh, just cold. I hadn't I hadn't really had any reps with it other than uh, just like gold fishing, and I I found that I definitely was not as aggressive as I needed to be mulliganing because I was in like this Delver headspace from from actually playing Delver most recently, where I definitely mulligan less. So I I, I concur entirely with what Tom just said. Honestly, does that sort of line up with what you've experienced? Because your experience is like mostly with the Delver side of it. And I feel like a lot of the times when you take a look at a Delver opener, your cantrips are wild cards and just card advantage matters so much that since you're going to be one for oneing and you really want to be able to tempo, going down cards with Delver is generally a really bad thing. Where with a lot of other decks, 
you're looking for your combinations and you want to be explosive, so mulliganing is a benefit. And with the sort of like more redundant card advantage based decks, you have built in built in resiliency to to handle mulliganing to be able to start with a better hand. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you what you guys are saying in terms of, you know, different archetypes require different levels of aggressively mulliganing or not. I would just say that as I was playing and learning from other people with just Delver, I realized that I was making a lot of mistakes. Like I was I was developing these heuristics about what I should always do or not do. Like for example, how I would mulligan if like certain things didn't come up in my hand or like it lacked a certain cantrip or it had like two dazes on the on the draw or whatever. And then I kind of realized that after a while that there's no like sacred there's no sacred rules about this stuff. Like it, it is very much dependent and you have to like actually try to take an extra five seconds to think about something that I might have autopiloted in the past. I think that was one of the big levels for me was just like every the answer to everything in magic is it depends. Yes. Like there's no like if you if you ever hear anyone say like you always do this, like they probably don't they probably don't know what they're talking about or they have severely limited their ability to play magic at a high level basically. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. There are certain heuristics I guess like that that are deck dependent that you sort of develop over time by seeing like a lot of games play out and you can say oh you know you should like with uh grixis delver one of the classics was you play out death right before delver uh and there there are exceptions when you know the matchup but that was generally like one of the heuristics that you'd hear and like those can develop over time from you know knowing what the meta is like and knowing what the different matchups are like but uh I don't remember who said this. I've been like stalling like with this little explanation, trying to remember who said this. But somebody said that to be a good player, you have to know the heuristics, and to be a great player, you have to know when not to listen to the heuristics. And yeah. that's something I took to heart so much so that I can't even remember who fucking said it. But I'm sure it's a number of people, right? Yeah, there, there probably wasn't one Hopefully. person. It, it's probably a shared sentiment. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's absolutely uh, one of the one of the phrases that best exemplifies what being really good uh, entails. Yeah, and, you know, I, I actually equate this whole Magic Online experience, initial experience for me, as kind of when I started playing online poker. Like, when you first start playing online poker, you level up quite quickly because you just see a lot of hands per hour as opposed to sitting in a casino, right, and just yeah. playing, like, th 20, 20 hands an hour. You're playing, like, 200 hands. And you start to really get good at the foundations of what I would call ABC poker. Like, you know, you're supposed to call race fold if you're just playing like mechanically, like that's what you should do. And I think Magic Online is really good for that. But I think what Ian, you and Tom are good at is like, you got to take that to the next level. It's like, now you got to apply your intuition and you also have to apply into it how you read your opponents. Because when you're sitting down physically from an opponent, you have such an edge from going beyond ABC poker or ABC magic, where you actually can like read their mannerisms, you can bluff. Like there's lots of things you can do on paper that makes magic so rich and that's what magic is. And and that's how you get to sort of the next level of actually being good is like, you have to combine the technical with like, when do I actually deviate from ABC magic, right? I think I think good, I think good. You, you, you sit down, you play the heuristics 
and you play that technical this is the sort of the the best play on average to make right now i think if you can sit down and do that consistently you're good you are absolutely good but what ian was talking about was the great players can like can look at the board can look at you can think about how the first five turns developed knowing what your list is and like predict what's in your hand and play around it i think that's what makes people great um but i think you can absolutely be a good magic player just sitting down and playing that technical abc magic because let's face it magic is a really hard game right and it's um it's hard to get that really solid technical base so magic online is definitely great for that and i think that if you can sit down and you can play uh, a challenge or a league playing that technical magic correctly then then you are a good player i don't know yeah. that's that's my opinion i i definitely agree with that and sort of what you were saying james like online that that's all you have right because you can't really make those those next level reads online and that's why honestly i think um i i've really slowed down my online playing in the past six months or nine months maybe because i was playing like a ton of of online like nine months ago and i've sort of scaled it back i have maybe i don't know 15 trophies in the current format but uh the current draft format but uh i was i was going a little a little ham like last summer but i think uh i think that actually i'm not great at the uh the technical part i would definitely say tom is a lot better at like the uh the in-game stuff i kind of put the cart in front of the horse i think because i played poker like i'm actually good at the reading part and not not that good at like making the uh the best the best percentage play i find it actually Mm -hmm. harder in paper because i get distracted by other stuff going on and uh online it's all you have so i'm more focused on it so it's kind of like a different skill set you're honing would you describe yourself as more of a intuitive player maybe oh 100 percent yeah so online kind of trains you away from that because you don't have that exactly right there's no you can't pull off bluffs or like there's one thing that i feel like i i still need to have a ton of work do do a ton of work on which is like when I make plays, I need to think better about how my opponent will re- react to those plays. It's kind of like what Tom's saying about like pl- playing ahead and like thinking about playing around what they have. But it's like I'm still very much like I play ABC Magic, and then when I make the play, like I'm thinking about my next play. I'm not thinking about how my opponent might respond or the or how the way they played their card this turn means they're thinking A or B. Like that's something I still need to get better at. I don't know. Are you guys pretty? pretty good with that already i think from from experience it depends on your experience with the deck like there are some decks that i played for i played when i was playing a lot of magic that i would i played uh the four color Deathblade deck for like two years year and a half and i had so many reps with that deck that I, i had that prediction from what my opponent was doing based off their deck now there are some decks that i didn't have like a great uh great base to work with because they were just like low sample sizes but against the big ones, I had it. It's sort of the same thing with Death and Taxes because that's my like go-to sort of casual deck. But 
I don't have that when I'm playing decks that I don't have a ton of reps with. So you were talking about how you got 300 matches in with Grixis Delver, and I think that if you like, you need to have that that base to be able to move on to the next level for sure. I see. So you're saying that it's for you. It's like once you become very familiar with the deck, you know, it like the back of your 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 hand then it becomes actually quite easy to think about what your opponent's doing because you don't have to think so much about what you're doing or you've seen the plays that you have to make like a million times already. Yep, and Bant, like the four-color Deathblade deck, that wasn't like a difficult deck to play. So I would look at my opening hand and I would already know how my first four turns were going to go. So what I would spend my mental energy on is like, all right, if my opponent has days, if my opponent thought seizes my whatever, like how is this going to play out? So it... You need to hit uh, like a sort of base with your deck to where your brain power doesn't go into thinking about what your plays are going to be because you just know what they are. And then you can start to expand on to more about how your opponent's going to react to it. At least that's that's how it's always been for me when I've been playing a deck for a while. Got it. Got it. And, and sorry, you've got you got me really curious now, and I'm not sure if this is meant to be a strategy podcast, but like... I'm just wondering for you guys, like, what made you guys stop playing Magic Online as much as you did, like, last year? Like, Ian, you said, you know, nine months ago, or Tom, whenever, however long it goes for you. Was it just life, or did you guys also realize that you were getting some kind of diminishing returns with just grinding online? Tom, you go first. Well, mine mine was a little combination of both. I, um, I think when I really stopped playing more Magic Online, one, we started the podcast... Two, I stopped going to many, like, I was traveling, I was traveling to events, like, a really good amount up through, like, 2016, and I had my kid, we started the podcast shortly after, magic sort of became less important to me, um, and then recently I just started to play other games, so, like, it's, it wasn't because I felt like I was getting less diminishing, like, less return off of my time, it was more that I was just putting less into magic. Got it. Yeah. What about you, Ian? Uh, I think that this is kind of going to get into what something James and I were talking about maybe yesterday or two days ago. I guess it depends which time zone you're in, right? Because it might have been yesterday for you and two days ago for me. but I, uh, yeah. Or vice versa, actually. But I basically had, uh, had a feeling where like with the decks that I wanted to be playing on uh on moto where i'd reached that point that you're talking about tom with uh with stoneblade and the the decks that i'm talking about specifically were at the time it was like the noble rug deck and the esper blade deck where i felt like i had them at a point where i wasn't really thinking about the technical aspects and i was just sort of painting by numbers trying to get trophies which seemed like kind of a waste of time exercise to me not not to throw shade at anybody who's out there doing that but it it, it wasn't particularly fulfilling and the replayability was kind of low because i felt i felt like the the matchups were really getting to more of a finer shading in the picture where like the the big gains were gone right like there wasn't any any room to say oh i could sideboard this matchup this way it was it was more like oh should i leave in two or three forces post board against this deck and when i'm on the draw you know it was like very very finer points that were being shaded in and 
you start to like get frustrated in, in that situation where you're not improving very much, where you start just like rushing the games through. And if you if you mm-hmm. find yourself on the back foot, you just want to scoop it up. Or if you start a league oh, one, you're just like, fuck, I just want to quit this and go to the next league. And, yep. you know, th- that's sort of like when, when the matches are playing out very similarly and you don't have that reading of the opponent to keep your mind busy. It just starts to like to become a bit of a drag in my experience again this is just for me and i know there's plenty of people whose experience doesn't jive with this and that's equally valid but i just find draft to have a much greater uh replayability quotient maybe where there's the aspect of the drafting and the deck building and deck building is really the part that i enjoy and another big part of it was i canceled my mana traders account because they mm-hmm. they kind of fucked with me for a little bit and that you know not being able to deck build as freely because i didn't have the man traders account was a big part of it too yeah but yeah that that's I've, pretty much where i'm at have you been playing the new vintage cubes and things that are offered on magic online I, i've heard lots of good things about it i haven't done it myself yet but it seems like everybody's doing that these days from what i see on twitter so I love it. I haven't played the new one because I've I've just been too busy playing another game. But if I wasn't playing <laughs> WoW, I would be laptop open with my kid uh, drafting the Vintage Cube because that's that's my favorite thing to do in Magic. Um, and it's the most fun that I have on MTGO is actually playing the Vintage Cube. Now that Tom's saying WoW instead of another game, I kind of feel like he's actually playing Animal Crossing. No, I'm not. You know what? So I never played Animal Crossing. All of my Facebook friends are like really excited. I don't know what it's about. Uh, I'm I'm part of like an older generation that I guess didn't grow up with Animal Crossing. So I um I have no idea. I think it's you know what's really good. Oh, go ahead. No. Go ahead, bro. Uh, you know you know what's really funny is that. I feel like we're just old men in the sense that we've kind of come full circle on a lot of things, including gaming. You know how it's like when you first start using Instagram or Facebook, it's like you're posting all this stuff like, I had food today, I, uh, you know, this is how I feel about the world. And then as you slowly get more jaded and cynical and you realize that you get burned on certain interactions and whatever, you just end up just eventually not doing it, posting anything. It's like there's that there's that circle of, uh, of evolution of your social activity. I feel like that's kind of the same with some of the, like this gaming and magic stuff. It's like, you know, we've already done all these things. We traveled tournaments. We've, we've done all these, like we, we play like a, a, a countless amount of leagues. Now it's just like, I'm just going to go play animal crossing. Go play like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's really funny. Like how it's like, we went from like play magic, see the world to just kind of like, Let's just do a podcast. Well, bro, it's you know? so funny you're the one who's saying this right now because I'm always like, I see you posting on Twitter and you're like all like bright eyed and like tagging people and shit. And I'm like, man, I got to be more like James. Like James is uh, every day he's just like waking up and grabbing the world by the balls. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like jaded guy no, who you, doesn't want no, to. No, no, uh, you should, you should not be, you should not aspire to be like, like <laughs> I, I'm, I like, I don't even know why I do that. It's just like, like. You know, I, I kind of went through that whole circle of thing on, on Twitter as well. It's like, you know, I wanted to post serious content. I wanted to, like, post blogs. And then now I realize, like, oh, nobody cares about that shit. Like, you know, they just want to, like, 
like that you 5-0'd some league. And it's like, it's if I'm honest with myself, it's kind of disingenuous. Like, what the performative aspect of Twitter, I, I think we talked about that in the past too. Um, you know, so don't be like me. That's 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 the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, no I'm, no, I'm definitely in that same boat for sure. Now I just like, I don't even post anything on Facebook anymore unless it's like a picture of my kid and family stuff we're doing because it just doesn't matter. Wait, you disabled your beer of the week, Tom. I realized. <laughs> Wait, my beer, my what? Your your Twitter used to be like, I'm drinking a purple haze by tree. Oh, yeah, haze from tree. Okay, I stopped. I stopped posting beer stuff. I just like uh, posting posting stuff on social media. Just doesn't do it for me anymore. I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't care if people like or follow us at Dead Format Cast uh, on Twitter. But follow us at Dead Format Cast on Twitter, bro. So I I deactivated my Facebook account late Thursday night, or I'm sorry, my Twitter account late Thursday night for the first time, uh, because the Leaving a Legacy episode was coming out that we were on, and Justin obviously edited it. And Jerry Jerry had told me that he told Justin to edit out all this stuff, but I didn't actually know if he did or not. So just in anticipation of a potential mob, I deactivated my account to get ahead of it. And uh, it turns out Justin did kindly edit out all the bad shit. But uh, I, during the, the like 12 hour period while my Twitter account was deactivated, I clicked on Twitter probably, I don't know how many times. And it made me realize just like how much I'm, I'm doing that and how it's probably bad. I hear you, man. Like every time I post a new podcast episode or something, I can't help but just go back in there several times a day, see if anybody, you know, how many times it's been played, how many times people liked it. I just feel like I'm a hamster in a wheel. Like it's it's really bad. Yep. I'm refreshing SoundCloud to see the downloads on every episode. And then like, I, it doesn't, it just doesn't matter anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like just because your numbers go down or your Patreon gets smaller that has nothing to do with your self-worth or like somebody says something that is like, that's a criticism on Twitter about your last podcast. Like who, who really gives a shit? See, that's one aspect I don't relate to because I'm always hoping they criticized. <laughs> like I, I'm, che- I'm checking, I'm checking over and over for the bad review. Like I can't wait for the bad review. Like, Oh, when I we see, had when it. I see good two, review, I'm like, two out of five. I, sorry, I liked you guys, but Anne's audio making me not yep. want to listen to you anymore. They're like, what is this guy in a clo- bathroom closet or something? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's exactly where I am. You're just wishing for those people to hate listen to TDF? Yeah, some, well, somebody was like, I, I don't know about Ian's uh, acoustics or something, like the room he's in. And I'm like, dude, that's just my voice, unfortunately. Like, there's not really much I can do about that, I think. But uh, no, I think um, like today there was there was sort of a, a mixed review on the leaving a legacy, and I was just like so pumped to see it. I was like, yes. Yeah, like, I listen. I want to apologize because I I took something that I thought was funny, and it ended up just turning out to like kind of dump on a lot of people. And I I definitely didn't I I didn't want to put that vibe out there. I, I think it was something about an article I read about like meth meth being something the coronavirus can't take and it turned into a whole mess of things that i thought was funny but when i went back and listened to it i was like oh man that was like 
that was just not that was not respectful of a lot of people and i apologize for that oh bro that really was an article i forgot about that no i linked it i linked it to you guys that's (laughs) why i made the comment it was yeah now it makes sense it makes more (sighs) sense now i forgot about that so i have two thoughts on that leaving a legacy (laughs) episode that you guys just released last week the first thought is it might have been a lot better if you guys just had a disclaimer statement at the beginning like you know we are not medical professionals (laughs) you know like you know whatever right so that might have like downplayed the the negative reactions and then my second thought is they really someone really needs to invent this device where as you listen to people talk on a podcast you can figure out what level of inebriation they're at because like it's linear i know because (laughs) i i know but but it's like you know there's some people that actually sound obviously drunk but then there's other people that are not, they don't sound drunk, they sound normal, like which is you guys when you're on a, on a podcast. And it's like, I think if there's just a level of like how, how many drinks that person has had at that, at that exact moment they said something, yes. then I think people can have more empathy towards like what's being said. Because like Tom at the beginning of the podcast is different than Tom at the end of the podcast. <laughs> That's a true right? story. Yeah, so you can tell when Ian is drinking as the episode goes on, you can hear the Jameson bottle and the sloshing. Well, you can't more. see because it's full. I have a, a new bottle today, so it's still like ninety percent full. So you can't. No, hear I just slosh I just heard it. Much. I know because I'm shaking it. it. I'm shaking. Okay. It. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Right. But let's let's say <laughs> let's say a, an overzealous editor edits out that sloshing sound, then it's like the audience has no idea. Right. Can't even pick up on that. Yeah. That is right. a true story. And yeah, so, I appreciate that, James, because when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, no, dude, I sound wasted there, like, towards the end. So I, I appreciate that you don't necessarily <laughs> think that. That That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Because somebody, somebody called us the shittered format recently, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know if that's, like, a compliment, because that just means you're, like, so well-practiced speaking while being sloshed that, like, yeah. we might need to, after all this is over, seek, like, some professionals. There was one time after we recorded a couple weeks ago, I can't remember who was on as a guest, but I remember I was, like, keeping it together and wrapped up the cast, and then I went to play online, and I immediately got paired with Jabberwocky, and this was, like, to 3-0 a league, right? And after like four turns, I, I just conceded and I was like, good luck at the PT. Oh, it was the week before the PT, I guess. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I, I literally cannot play Moto right now. I'm too drunk. And uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that I'd been that that drunk at the time. So it's definitely, uh, I think that's a great idea, James, that if we uh, could have that miracle miracle invention of yours, get on it. Cardboard Live. Should we just yep. keep track yep. of the number of drinks we had and put it in the cast notes that like we'll put like eleven eleven oh two like and it's yeah. three drinks in. Right? We can skip no, right you should, to it. You should get the editor to to add the drinks consumed in real time. So just add sound effects. Like you know, like Ian had another bottle of Jameson yep. and then you have the sloshing sound and you know, like at two forty five. Like, you know, just the white claw cracking into the microphone. Yo, that's not yeah. a bad idea, bro. We should have like a little soundboard where we just press the button. That's I don't want to go a... soundboard. No, no, no. Sound... Oh. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be like fucking. You know, air horns and yeah, not like yeah. not like obnoxious. Stuff. Not obnoxious. Just sound sound like a, a bottle cap opening or whatever. Just like hit it because and not have to like actually, you know, do it into the microphone every time. 
Actually, I think that's the right way to handle this. I think we got our we got our idea now. I like it. I like it. So, bro, James, playing online, how many Okos did you see? Too many to count, man. Yeah, a and lot of Okos. I, a lot, and I, I, I've joined the enemy too. Like I'm playing Oko in in Rug Delver. Like I had to, I had to get into that because it's just a great card. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it is, it is in fact one of. I know, I know this is a cliche by now, but you don't realize how good it is until you actually start playing with the card or playing against it. Like, you know, it's just, it's just good. And I, I'm not so. I, I'm okay with Oko now. I actually have been telling my friends that the new enemy is uh, Euro. You know. Yeah. That's that's like the I know I'm biased, but that's like the number one card you, you do not want to see when you're playing Delver. Like that card just just wrecks you, and I feel like Euro is the new is new enemy, and 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 it kind of made me realize like how bad we are at just evaluating cards because honestly, who thought Euro was good in in Legacy when it was spoiled? Like, not me. I know? I thought that it was like. A, a one of potentially in like uh, zenith decks, like bigger zenith decks, and that was it. I never thought it was going to be like a, a normal pile card. And and that's so hard. That's also another thing I've realized about Magic Online is that like in a lot of ways the format is very inbred, and there's a lot of like uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to how to describe it. It's like when people want something to become real, it becomes real. It's like yes. if everyone just starts being like, I'm going to play Earl in Deathblade, and then you'll just see people just brute force that victory, and then that circular group thing happens, and then now next thing you know, everybody's playing that. And it's just, you know, you start to see that at certain, there's like every month at, on Magic Online in Legacy, there's some hot deck of the month, and it's fun. Like people want to play the hot deck and they want to do well with it. But then you realize how like possible it is for magic players to just kind of like will something into reality if it's like halfway decent. So I don't know what point I'm trying to make. It's just like I, I've learned a lot just from like just observing magic online and being in it. And I think that if you play just paper, it's still good to get in there even briefly like I did just to like figure out what the world is out there, you know, cause it's a big world out there. Yeah. I think magic online, you're exactly right. It can be very far ahead on things and very far behind on things because of the circular nature of it. So you can detect patterns a lot sooner because you, you can play more games and, and experience more matchups quicker and being able to identify when things are problems, but you're also subject to that that biased data set where you think something's more of a problem than it is or you think that because everybody's following you know five five people are following one person's list and you play one of those five people one out of every 10 games or whatever right so you end up thinking that something's a bigger problem than it is uh, i think it's a double-edged sword basically so I think that sometimes they're right about things, sometimes they're wrong about things. That's one of the reasons I wish Breach could have got a couple more weeks, but I understand what happened. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. <sighs> and it's, it's unfortunate because both Uro and Breach would be decks that I think uh, Deathrite would have some interest in counterplay with, but obviously that's not here anymore. Yeah, it's sort of like this... Uh, I, I think what... Play Magic Online also taught me because I'm I'm primarily a one trick pony on Magic Online because I just play Delver. 
is that it's not all about you, right? Like, if you are struggling against a certain deck, like, for example, the first two months I was playing, I was, like, playing... I was getting really bad results versus the four-color control Snoko decks that just, you know, just land to Fury and Oko, and then if you don't counter that, it's... As Delver, it's basically over. Um, I was struggling a lot, and I was getting really frustrated... But then one day I just started realizing, like, well, there's other decks that just totally crush that deck. Yep. And so there really is a very strong rock, paper, scissors thing going on. And just because I, I can't beat that deck consistently doesn't mean that I, a card needs to be banned. It just means that I might have to, you know, run into this deck, you know, one in four matches in a tournament, and that's fine. Or I dodge the, the deck in a tournament, and it's fine. And there's other decks that just crush it, like TES will just crush that deck. Yes. And... And I might do really good against TES. So it's like rock, paper, scissors. So, you know, playing Magic is not all about me. Like, I'm not some kind of omnipotent uh, person that plays all the decks and I have a killer read on the format and I think this card should really get banned. Yeah. Like, I wasn't playing Breach when it was banned, but I felt like, you know, I, I was getting closer to figuring out how to combat that deck. So I didn't need it to be banned. I almost, like, welcomed the challenge. Like, I, wanna, I, want, I want this to be in the format a little bit longer so I can see how it shakes out. Like, yep. this is not... This, like we're not doing the efficient market theory with magic online here like no. like things take time right and 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 different decks beat different decks you know and i think that there's there's really precious few players who are really building decks and also educated enough to make the right calls on those decks and, and understand exactly what's going on with the meta at large we've lost a lot of those players to be honest in the last two years so I think that, that thinking that we're even approaching an efficient market theory uh, with where we currently are with having, you know, no Grand Prix and diminishing player base is is just ludicrous, you know. So I think there's still a lot of faulty assumptions built on that. But uh, the reason I asked about Oko is, well, twofold. One, because there's the omnipresent ban talk. Uh, the reason, just to refresh everyone's memory, the reason that we've considered Oko possibly banworthy is just because of the sort of boringness of playing with and against it, like the, the sameness of it, because it's, it's like doing this the same couple things and making all the games in certain matchups end up looking the same, the games you win the, from the Oko yeah. side. And uh, this week, there was a ton of Oko in the top 10 of the challenge. There were, I believe, at least five uh, Oko decks, maybe six in the top 10 of this week's challenge. So oh, yeah. I was just curious, you know, what your what your opinion on Oko was. I mean, it's a really strong card right now. I see that many people are... I'll just use the term warping. Warping their decks to support Oko. Like, they'll just splash blue because this is a good card that I should be playing. Um, is Do I personally feel like something needs to be done about this card in the format? I don't think so, as long as Red Blast and certain things are around. Yep. Um, but I, at the same time, I understand your point, which is that it leads to a sort of sameness in the format where, you know, matchups become Oko versus Oko or something to that effect. Yeah, for sure. And so we saw in the first place there was uh, Fish Duggery playing the the Bug Zenith deck that had won Grand Prix Bologna, we've been talking about quite a bit lately. It doesn't seem like a, a radical departure from 
the the deck as we've seen it before. I'm not sure if one borrower was normal or not, but they're on one borrower. But a lot of the numbers you would recognize from the previous iteration of the deck, and one Uro that's new. But yeah, and I, I've got to shout out my boy Fish Duggery here. Yeah, uh, Fish Duggery is Elliot from Vancouver, Canada. He's a very good legacy player. Uh, we're actually in a Slack chat together, the Vancouver oh, sweet. Uh, legacy, legacy crew. Like, uh, he's friends with the Canadian Threshold podcast as well. So like, we're all friends. So shout out to Elliot. Bro, really good job. using Slack for recreational purposes is the most Canadian thing I've ever heard in my life. What is Slack? It, is that like a programming? It's, it's, my, it's the work tool? chat. It's like the work chat function. <laughs> okay. So it's like Discord yeah. for not fun stuff? It's Discord for work. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's very Canadian, but I appreciate it. We, uh, but the second place list is kind of exactly what we were talking about. It's four color loam. This is JMD37. Four color loam. As we've always known it, except with no punishing fire, because we're foregoing red for blue to play Oko. Mm-hmm. Not, not even Uro just Oko and a cyborg Leovold. So that's that's the effect Oko's having, right? Where it's it's a catch-all. And Lor- uh, Lawrence, uh, Wilson made a great point when he was on the cast uh, probably two months ago now that he actually liked Oko because it's a catch-all for decks in colors that traditionally haven't had a catch-all like Rug Delver where you have less non-games. And I do think that that's valid because you can answer stuff like Chalice, right? like main deck Mm -hmm. but uh i i do think that this is the flip side of that coin where you're paying that price by having a deck that was traditionally like the everything but blue deck now playing blue so yeah this is four okos this is uh sort of the logical conclusion of a build we've seen a lot of people fucking with and uh yeah, a lot of the same numbers you'd recognize, like four Dark Confidant, four Night of the Reliquary, one Scavenging Ooze. Actually, this is three Dryads. I'm kind of surprised to see that, but, you know, exploration effects are always kind of something this deck wished it could have, but it... it... Dryad, Dryad is very good right now. The four Toughness is amazing, yeah. especially with a lot of Lightning Bolts in the great, format. Great and it also runs Valakit, because with Dryad and Valakit, every, every land you play becomes a Lightning Bolt. Yeah, exactly, bro. Yep, nailed it. So yeah, that's exactly right, and it's, uh, you know, now the Reliquary can tutor up uh, Valakit, it can get, you know, fetch land into some other land to get that shit going. Uh, no Field of the Dead in this list, so that that's like the uh, the trade-off, I guess, is you're either playing Field or you're playing Valakit. Yeah, I think I saw Field a little bit more in the decks with Primeval Titan. There was a, there was a Titan Field of the Dead deck that was running around a while back, yeah. right? This is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this deck is pretty sweet, and it's it's pretty cool to see, you know, two. I want to call them fair decks. You know, I mean, one of them is a Chalice deck, but really two fair Green Sun Zenith decks in the top eight. That that's just like you know fun interactive magic, at least from my perspective. I'm sure people would disagree, but it's what it's what we want I mean, to be this doing. Is, right? This is a scary deck. Like this deck has it all. <laughs> If you look at it, I've, has all the has all the all, all the pieces and all the answers. I've always said this is the hardest deck to sideboard against, honestly, because it's like it's like the fair deck where you kind of still want your forces because they're almost playing like a combo deck because they have like these all in chalice starts. 
Yeah, they have like mm-hmm. such high impact cards. Exactly. To where the force of will is still worth a two for one trade off. Like you take a yeah. look at a card like Bob or Oko, and you know that they're like, they're they're playing a high density of these powerful cards, but they don't have a lot of them, and they don't really have a ton of ways to search for them outside of their Green Sun Zenith package. So the force really does some work. Yeah, so this is this is always really really difficult for me. It's always been a matchup where I want to bring in like seven or eight cards and want to take out two. So it's always it's always been a, a balancing act, and I'm not even sure that I ever had it exactly correct. But um, I've always had a lot of respect for this deck, basically. But third place we got Blood Moon Stompy, which seems good if everybody's gonna be playing three four colors again. And uh, fourth place. Rug Delver with three Okos. So, did you play any Rug Delver, James? I did. I played quite a bit of this. Uh, this is a uh, yeah. I mean, I, I played basically Oko and Hooting Mandros in in Delver. So basically, this same exact list that JHK is playing. Very similar. Yeah, it, it's it's fairly creature light. It, I I've been playing the same thing. Like it's got four Delvers, four Arcanists. Because Arcanist is just the bomb, and uh, two Hooning Mandros. Uh, you know, one mana TNN is pretty good. Yeah. And yeah, the the three Okos is just really nice. Like just more about Oko. It's just like Oko is just kind of crazy in the sense that once you play it or play him, the opponent has to like drop everything they're doing and try to try to answer it it's just sort of like this this sort of uh mid to late game thing that delver now has that it never had before and you know you know you play against moon stompy and they they kind of have you locked up oko comes out now it's like all the rebel masters and creatures have to try and go go for oko and it's just it's it's kind of comical sometimes it's just like it's it's like a three drop that you just kind of set it and forget it i mean not forget it you actually have to do stuff with oko but it, it, you know, they just have to like now go like shift all their forces to try to take them out, and then you just play another Oko when <laughs> when the first one dies and you're good, right? Yeah, so. exactly, bro. That that's almost always how it goes, right? Like you always have the Oko back up. But the uh, the rest of the top eight from the challenge is let's see, Noral Grande playing Eldrazi Aggro, which is a very good deck right now. If this is going to be the meta. Uh, Achilles. So Nora Grande is Andrea Mangucci, right? Oh yeah, yep, you're right. Yeah. And uh, Achilles playing Maverick, which is really having a resurgence right now. Like uh, we've seen Maverick doing well probably four weeks in a row now. So this is not the splash blue for Oko build that we'd seen a lot of people playing recently. This is the pretty, pretty uh, traditional Maverick just with collector roof, right? Yeah, I think the oh, for once the upon thing a that time, I actually exactly. I was just going to talk about that. Like, I that's the that's the huge toolbox element that uh, Maverick now has, and I I've seen like you know two once upon a time, I'm seeing four. I think four is a good number in this deck. So what are the cuts? Let's see: one Sylvan Library, one Noble Hierarch, one. Hmm. Oh, one green sun zenith and one land. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's basically much. just shaving, right? Yeah, and it's gone up to four Thalias because, like, in the past, like, I think we've seen a lot more, like, two or th- three of Thalias sometimes in the board, and it's just Thalias, just a very high impact card now, especially against, I don't know, all blue decks, I guess. Yeah, so, for sure. Gotta have that. 
Yeah, it's a great point. Good, good point. Uh, seventh place, Svaka, again with this list that uh, Svaka took second place in the challenge with last week. That is the three Belfast Strix, three Snapcaster, three Arrow list that I have built in paper right now, actually. Uh, so many threes in this deck. Three Hymns, three Inquisition, three Ponders, three Okos. I, I could not just look at this deck and not sleeve it up, so... Yeah. I'll be playing this in the near future, hopefully against uh, some of you guys on uh, on Zoom. And then Learn to Love in sixth place with uh, another more different Rug Delver list. This has Tarmogoyfs, which is a card that I, I forgot existed. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess if there's any time you want Ian to play your deck, put three Ponder in it and then guaranteed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And then I just wanted to mention real quick, ninth and 10th place, both Rug Delver lists. Actually, both Tarmogoyf versions of Rug Delver with two and three Okos, respectively. That is mm-hmm. Mans and I Be True. And yeah, Rug Delver, obviously, four of the top 10 spots. This is a pretty strong stamp of approval for Rug being the Delver deck du jour, right? Yeah. Or, or for Oko being. The, the, the card. best card in Delver. Uh, yeah. Bug is still a thing, bro. I, I think that, I think that, uh, I mean, a, a thing possible to do, right? With with being in Oko colors, I think that really Rug is is putting itself head and shoulders. I guess you're you're in a world where you have to be playing red, right? I I feel that way. Like whether it's online or or on paper, I I just feel like the lightning bolt and the red blast is so important. I mean. Having a having decay to answer Oko doesn't feel very good to me, but that's just me. Yep, no, that's totally fair, bro. Yeah, cool. Real quick, I wanted to mention 29th place. Tom, do you see this list? It's uh, it's called Bant Mantor, but really, it's it's just like the Bant deck with noble hierarchs and mentors. Yep. Just a huge cantrip package. Imagine the old Bant decks, no true name, just Mentor. Yeah, and it's not all in, like, we'd seen this with Land Grant before. Like a Titan Where I was playing, like, 14 land. Like an all-in Mentor plan. This is more like a balanced game plan that just happens to have four Mentors and only two true names. Yep. What do you think of this deck? This is is pretty cool. So I I like the composition. I like the cards. I... I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think it's the time for Bant. Um, I think that with the performance of Rug, how efficient those threats are, and, like, that spell package has just been around forever. It's proven. I, I think that this deck has to do a lot more. It has to do a lot more for me to say, all right, yeah, I'm willing to sleeve it up, because I don't have a yeah. ton of time to play, and because the death pops up in 29th, I'm not about to just <laughs> sort of go play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm just going to yeah. be honest. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, there's, there's also that, there's also that word conflation. It's like you know, you see these decks doing fairly well. I mean, I would say 29th is is pretty good, but it's like, are they doing well because they're playing Mentor, or are they doing well because they're playing Jason Oko and they're just throwing in other cards that happen to be like average to above average, or right? that they've been playing this deck in every challenge for the last month or so, and this is the first time it's popped up. Like, it's you know what I'm saying. So, or it's they won every die roll, happen. you know. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of things it could be and they always ha- they always had trap noble days in their opening hand and won every die roll 
it could be a lot of things. And I personally, just the noble mentor aspect of it sort of like triggers me as like, oh man, you know, like it's, it's such disparate game plans to want to be going tall and they want to be going wide like that. But it has such high, high power level potential. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like you can just like, you have that, you have that noble into mentor with a daze and you're like, I'm doing it. And then every so often you're going to get your noble like bolted and you're going to get wastelanded and you have a bunch of threes in your hand you can't cast. Um, It's not something that I would want to do with, with even a more mid range version of rug sort of being the top deck at the moment. Yeah, so, like, unironically, there are... All right, I, I'm using that word too much now. I gotta stop. There are 11 3-plus drops in this deck. So, yeah. You know, just think about that. How many? How often what Tom just described would, would potentially happen. Yeah, and it's not yeah. It's not like you, you still have Deathrite Shaman to where you can support that number of 3-drops like the old band deck used to play. Like even then we weren't playing that number right so yeah yep yeah the most we ever went is nine and this this is on full 11 with only two gooses which you know it's more reliable i guess casting your first three but it's a lot less reliable afterwards so kind of is what it is but that's uh just something i wanted to point out to you guys real quick from the deck dump there is one deck that I felt deserved the highlighting, and that's a uh, green-white vile deck. This was what player was it? I'm sorry, I don't. Do I see it. the link here? Yeah, I see green-white vile. Oh, Is it the one above it? Yeah, Yumi in Iowa. It's a a green-white vile deck with three Avon mind sensors and four leonin arbiters so it's kind of like that green white hate bears deck in modern those are two cards that i think about a lot still along with stifle bird but uh even mind sensor and uh leonin arbiter are in my opinion just underplayed cards in general so i i don't know what do you think about this deck tom uh yeah i mean i think like it has that ability to get people. I think you're playing cards like main deck Canonist and main deck Teague. And you have you have cards like Arbiter that a lot of people, I guess, aren't really used to playing in Legacy or seeing played in Legacy. You, yeah. you get your turn one Vial or you get an early Vial down and you're trying to figure out what you're playing against and somebody Vials in an Arbiter, you're surprised and it's, it's going to get you the first time. So... I think this is one of those decks that, like, if it if it becomes a more prevalent part of what people are seeing, then it gets a lot worse. But that's that's sort of my just first take at it. Yeah, I like this phrase that Alex used when he was on the cast a few weeks ago, which is Brewer's Advantage. Yeah. Uh, I'd never heard it articulated that way, but I think that that's exactly what you have if you're putting Arbiter in your deck right now. Yeah, it, it like, locks it on, locks it on uh, the discard guy. Right? Yeah. Right, like you, you get hemmed and you lose a smiter, and you're just like, "I did it, you did yeah. it." So, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that card is beautiful, bro. But uh, yeah, there's there's some weird stuff here. Like there's one prelate with no recruiter of the guard. Some stuff that I 
I really think that I might want to tweak a little bit about this deck, but uh, like you know, two two Teague no recruiter and a guard, for example. Uh, it just seems like you could shave a couple of these numbers down to ones and work in a couple of recruiters and just take advantage of the vial a little more. No palace jailer is pretty weird to me, but I'm, it's not like I played this deck and have any fucking idea what I'm talking about. It's just like looking at it on paper. Yep. No, I completely understand. But yeah, this uh, I felt like it deserved a highlight in kind of a a weak week. That, that, did I say that right? I'm, I'm on drink six. A week, week. Yeah, week, week. So it was kind of a week, week for the deck dump, honestly. Like, uh, you know, I always I always find something in here to be cheery and happy about, and I'm not really seeing it this week, so you guys need to work a little harder. <laughs> so we need more... Uh... We need more vile decks in the top eight, then you'll get excited. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, can you tell Esper, I've been playing vile? vile. Yeah, can you tell I've been playing that lately? Like, we need to see a top eight where every deck has noble hierarch and. Vile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a time machine. <laughs> more euros, please, bro. Would <laughs> you get time machine? <laughs> oh man. You guys, you guys are spoiling Watchmen for me already. I, I, I had a feeling that was a time machine, but I didn't know for sure. That wasn't a Watchmen reference. It was like a go back to 2014 reference. <laughs> no, that, never. Forget <laughs> it. Forget it. We can never go back. So, James, what's going on with the Olympics, bro? The Olympics? Uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine. I, I don't think it's happening. Don't think it's happening. Oh no! That's right. Oh, that'd be terrible. Well, there are already a bunch of countries that announced that they like they weren't going to send a team. So I think that number is just going to end up getting higher, right? Oh, yeah. Like Ru- Russia will still send a team, um, because I'm sure that they've like genetically engineered all their athletes with their steroids to be able to survive coronavirus <laughs> by that time, but. Yeah. Sorry if I offended any Russians listening. <laughs> I apologize. You probably did. Yeah. Yeah. We're melting snowflakes, bro. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. We uh yeah. Nah. No, I mean that was a joke. Like the Olympics are happening, right? But no, it's, it's, it's like officially. It but okay, but that's the thing. I mean, if you if you win the Olympics or you do well in the Olympics as a country, and then some countries are not participating, like, does that the question is, does that diminish the impact, right? Because there's a there's a star or an asterisk attached to that, right? It's kind of like, you know, when NBA reference, like the Spurs won won the championship in the lockout season where the, the season was shortened. Like, is that, did you really, did you really win it? You know, well, I guess you did, but it's like, does that diminish it? I think it, it depends which countries aren't participating. Because if it's just like, you know, Bulgaria pulled out, then it's like no, there's no asterisk. You have but just if, alienated your Bulgarian listeners. But if it's like you know the U the if the USA isn't participating, then it's like yeah, you obviously don't count that. That's a very U.S. centric worldview, Ian, and I have to step in here after my misstep with my comments <laughs> last week and point out that that's not that's not okay. Redemption time. Yeah, I mean timeout. <laughs> yeah, you got a timeout now. I wonder if I'll uh, catch coronavirus in jail like Harvey Weinstein. Uh... okay yeah so we got we got no follow-up for that (laughs) 
So yeah, the uh, the big things I think that we we wanted to talk about. I think we've hit most of that. James, you got a lot going on, bro. You always got a lot going on. So you want to tell people about that? Uh. Do I have a lot going on? Yeah, I mean, your the Magic podcast has been killing it. Like, I, I don't want to say before you didn't have good guests, but <laughs> you had good guests. But now it's just been like like hitting it out of the park every time. It's been it's been awesome. Well, thank you. I I really really appreciate those words. And I I think what I've started doing a little bit more with humans and magic is just be more selective you know, and, and, and really <laughs> Ian's laughing. I love it. Uh, be more selective and, and doing more preparation with the guests. And I, I, hopefully it shows like I've been doing interviews with people that I actually really wanted to talk to them. It, it's like, nobody's, I'm not obligated to talk to anybody. So it, it's just like, you know, I really wanted to talk to Matt. That was awesome, I really wanted yeah. to talk to this person. I really want to talk to uh, Lucas Birdtooth. So it's like, yeah, let's do it, you know, and they're really into it. I'm into it and I'm a fan of what they do. And that, that really, that really matters a lot. Like there's, you know, hopefully it, you know, hopefully that shows. Uh, so I've got humans and magic. I've got cardboard live, you know, cardboard live is still going strong. There's still lots of people that are streaming these days because of COVID-19 and staying inside. So, you know, we're really excited about, you know, some things that we're going to do, uh, this year. Uh, hey, Wilson and I. If Wilson, if you ask yeah. Wilson to be on a team for a three-on-three tournament, would he, would he say no to you? He would probably think no, but then he would say yes. That's yeah. why we love Wilson. Because okay, we're part of a team. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so fun fact: uh, I've never beaten Wilson in a sanctioned ma- match of magic, <laughs> and he, and he never. Um, he always reminds me of this, and even, and even when we're playing unsanctioned stuff like non, like formats that are not real, like cube. He beats me as well, so uh, he he's got my number. He's very good. He's very good at magic. Bro, somehow, yeah, but he will go ahead. He will he will team up with me. I'm sure. Nice. So. Somehow I'm one zero against Wilson in in cube. I've only ever played him in in one match of cube, but uh, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure that'll that's a small sample size that will turn around. <laughs> well, you know how you dagger people like people who think very highly of themselves yeah. in magic is that you remind them that you're you know lifetime hundred yeah. percent versus them. Oh right? yeah. Uh, not Wilson. Wilson doesn't take it personally. I'm I'm just gonna not name any names, but I've done that to other people, and they've been really pissed off, and I've really enjoyed it. Excellent. Black. Holler at your boy. So we uh yeah, if you want to find me on Twitter, that's Ian eighteen one twenty five. Uh, Tom, how can people find you? You can find me at Dead Format Cast and T Smiley MTG. Dead Format Cast at Gmail dot com. Anything else? How about how about James Humans of Magic podcast? Where we where can you listen to that? Uh, you can find it on channelfireball.com or you can just go to my website humansofmagic.com. You'll find all the episodes there. You got a book? Baller. You got a book, bro? Plug your book. It's on Channel Fireball and he's got his own website. Shit. Yeah, bro, you're the next Will Jonathan, yeah. huh? Oh god. <laughs> I'm I'm still active on Channel Fireball, so hopefully you know. Uh, I you know I. Yeah, so if you want to, if you want like uh, just a two chapter preview of the book, you can just go to humansandmagic.com and then you can sign up for my mailing list and then you can just get uh, two chapters. Nice. And uh, you can you can also enter the draw to win a free copy of the book. 